Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I'm looking around and I'm seeing my family from Cheddar and all their antics as they're rolling around on the floor. And of course, all my family from South Africa there, Richard and all his family, give everybody a wave. To South Africa, we're waving to you. To Cheddar, we're waving to you. Welcome everyone this morning. We've got a packed morning today. And uh, so <coughs> Stephen's going to be preaching, our senior pastor. And, uh, and then we're going to interview, uh, of course, my family over in South Africa. Jason's leading worship. Sandra's going to read the scriptures to us. And Jason's going to be leading worship. So we're looking forward to that. And we've got to move on fairly quickly. I want to say hello to everybody who will be on Facebook. I want to say hello to those who come later on YouTube and also those who will be on podcast at some stage. So good morning to you all. I'm going to ask Sue right now just to pray for us and then we will go straight into our interview in South Africa. Sue, pray. Uh, Lord, we're delighted to be in your presence this morning. Yeah. We know that you are with us in everything we do. And now, Lord, I just pray a blessing over the next hour, that, Lord, your presence will be so strong amongst us that we will feel you and we'll know you once again. Amen. 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 Right. Well, we're going, we're going to go right over to South Africa now. Mm -hmm. And I've got some really important questions to ask my family over there. First one, what are they doing in South Africa and why are they not in Cheddar? at this particular moment. There's one other thing I want to say, and it's just in my memory. When we worship, I don't think you ever noticed this, that um, uh, when the musicians leave, I usually break out laughing, and Sue and I go into hysterics. It's not because we're laughing at the worship leaders, it's because it's when I come, when I open my mouth and I begin to sing, I sing so flat and out of tune that it's a shock to Sue. <laughs> And we start laughing. We think it's funny. So in the worship, if I start laughing, it's not because I'm super spiritually happy. It's because I'm singing flat. That's what I do. That's what we do in the Ellerington's. We just don't sing very well at all, but we make a lot of noise. Anyway, over now to uh, over to South Africa. And I can see there. And sat next to Richard on the left, I can see Marnie. On his right to me, I can see AJ. At the back there, I can see Indy. And there's Reggie. And she's hidden behind all the pictures on my screen of the rest of the church. There you go, I can see you now, Reggie. It's brilliant to see you. Do you know, I remember the moment that you left our church because you've been in the ministry many years. And you left to go to France from our church in the red van, which was old when you drove it, when you got it, when you had it given. And it was a breaky downy van. And I couldn't believe it. With tears in my eyes, I saw you drive away on your way to France. And I said, Lord, they'll break down before they get to the ferry. <laughs> but you didn't. You didn't. And just by introduction, you went to France as a family and you pioneered a church there, re-pioneered a church there, right on the coast in Hossegor. And you stayed there for how many years, Richard? Uh, yeah, we were there for eight years, um, um, pioneered that church called Surf Church for the surf and beach community there. Uh, yeah, in the south of France, beginning in the Red Van. That's where it all began. It all began, and great days. And, and uh, I, I know Jim and Kerry have been to your church in France when you were pastoring it, and your mum and I have, and, and, many, and, and Don and Grant have been over as well. So we know it well. But then came the day that you decided that you had a call for wider regions, and you became the director of Surf Church Collective, and the idea is to encourage pioneering churches all around the world. And you and Reggie and the family decided that you take off on an all the round journey to visit all these startup churches and encourage them. 
and it was going to cost a fortune to send you all around the world. And your first destination was South Africa for a few weeks. <laughs> How long ago was that? Yeah. <laughs> so I think, um, like many of us, uh, working incredibly well in the prophetic, we didn't quite see what was going to happen in 2020. Um, so yes, yeah, so our plan was very much to travel the world as a family, uh, to help pioneer these different churches that were being birthed, um, uh, and some of them had not yet been established, and we were kind of dedicating ourselves as a family for a year to that purpose. Um, within uh, two months uh, of being in South Africa, uh, our next destination was Japan, and there was a breakout of Corona there, which was the next one after China. Uh, and everyone was like, well, it's not a big deal. Um, but there were five, just 500 cases in Japan and uh, they closed the doors for us to be able to get in. Then it was the Philippines that were supposed to go. They closed the doors there. Then it was uh, Indonesia that closed the doors there. And then by that time, uh, probably a month later, while we were on delay, uh, then a major hard lockdown uh, happened here in South Africa and we were locked into our houses for uh, two months. Um, uh, and then since that moment, uh, it's been very, very difficult to get out of the country. And we have been stranded here in South Africa um, for a year and two months now, uh, which was definitely not what we planned. Um, it's a million miles away from uh, what we've been dreaming of, praying into, and had very, very specifically written out an agenda for uh, the 12 months that were, were ahead of us. So definitely it's been a, uh, a change of direction and uh, challenging uh, for us as a family, but also great. So yes, that's not what we've planned. That scares me a lot, Richard. Uh, I'm not a very brave person, but you've been there with all the lions and the tigers and the elephants and everything. Oh, the zoom's gone. No, you're still there. We can still hear you and see you. Can you? I'm yeah, very everything but the church anyway we'll carry on then um and, and so you know you're lots of lions and tigers and all the rest of it but the really scary thing is this that you invited your mum and i to go and spend some time with you i don't know whether your family know this but you sent me a video of the key workers actually in protest uh with regard to the government i don't know wages or something and in your video, all the police were gathering around them with water cannons, machine guns, and, and batons. And you said, uh, why don't you come over and enjoy a holiday with us? <laughs> that yeah. is scary. It, 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 is, it is definitely very different over here. Um, it's a little strange, eh? Because after having spent seven years in the south of France, which culturally, well, it's European, but the language is a million miles away. But again, it's a first world rich country. Over here is very much an emerging democracy. So uh, there is a very, very high crime rate. Uh, there's incredible poverty everywhere you look, as well as incredible wealth sat side by side. So um, uh, this is a uh, just literally on the street that we uh, uh, this town is built around. At one end, you have incredible wealth. And at the other end, you have incredible poverty. Um, and uh, there are certain events that spark um, uh, uh, unrest um, uh, 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 because there isn't inequality here. Um, uh, but it's a, yeah, it's a it's a young country that's working all those things out. Um, uh, so it's been massive for us as a family to try you know to learn a new culture to work out how we can contribute to to this place because um, we really only came as we said just for a couple of months. It wasn't our intention to involve ourselves particularly in the journey of the town, um, uh, but that's become the biggest part of our daily work, really, uh, how we contribute to the life of people in J-Bay. Right, yes, uh, we're gonna speak up the questions. And uh, my big question to you is this, and this affects us all really, is how do you keep your spirit fresh and your vision alive when the things that you anticipated uh, don't actually happen for you and uh, uh, so how, how do you keep yourself alive as a family on pause as it were um the honest answer is that it's been a it's been a struggle um uh the 
the normality, the rhythms of spiritual practice that we all normally ex were experiencing before this moment all got thrown to the wind. So uh, that's been difficult to work through, especially when your plans have gone haywire, but it's also been the greatest opportunity because we've all individually uh, and together as a family had to find new ways to connect with God. Um, for me personally, I think that I've, what's been helpful is to zoom right out. When I look at the immediacy of what's taking place in, in the world and our own family life, I can become uh, 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 stressed, um, uh, you know, yeah, it becomes quite hard. But when you zoom out and you look at the big picture of God's plan, and also not just that, but eternity, and we look at, you know, uh, uh, the security of our salvation, um, uh, uh, our eternity with Christ. When I look at those big picture stuff, then that helps me deal with the what's happening now. So I've tried actually to stop planning around what's happening now and to start to dream into what God's doing over the next 10, 20, 30 years. I actually started to think about uh, uh, instead of the, the one-year plan, the 50-year plan uh, for our life as a family and how we can be on mission as a family. So I've been working out. I said to Rex, I can't die until I'm 95 because <laughs> I've got a plan now. Uh, uh, all right, I'll try for 100, Indy. Uh, um, so that's been helpful, actually, to zoom right out, to see God's bigness and to see uh, his plan beyond this moment. Good, it's good. And uh, it's funny you should mention that because I'm working on a 75-year plan as well. 75? <laughs> well, I think you're done. Um, uh, Marnie? Yes. Uh, now, we've known, I've known you as long as you've been alive. And uh, I'm interested to know this. I know that when you went to France, uh, because of your faith, you got bullied. And tell me a little bit about that and how you handled it. No, so when, when we moved to France, um, obviously me and my sister, we didn't know how to speak, well, nobody knew how to speak French in any way. And, um, and we went to school after three days of being in France and, uh, and then we were introduced to all the kids and, um, and I got put in a different class than my sister uh, when my teacher was pretty like, um, he was, he was not a very supportive, pretty yeah, pretty hardcore uh, French guy. And, um, and basically I remember, because we kind of got known around the town for being the, um, the Christian kids and the dad, the, the weird uh, family who does a church for surfers, because basically Christianity isn't a big thing in France. It's quite uncommon. And, um, and, and so we were known for being kind of like the weirdos and, uh, and, and yeah, like I was the only Christian in my school of like 1,500 kids who, who actually had faith and, and believed in God and, and wanted to, to live for him. Um, and, and I remember when I was younger, like uh, when I was 10 or so, um, I didn't have a lot of friends because everybody thought I was really weird and, and uh, nobody really wanted to hang out with me. And um, and, and it was actually getting really hard because I, mum and dad would wake me up to go to school in the morning and I, I really hated going. I'd pretend I was sick. Um, and, and, and I just remember crying out to God and, and saying, you know, if you love me so much, why, why do you put me in these hard situations? And, um, and, and then I remember dad preaching about that actually one Sunday in our crazy church for surfers. Um, and he was talking about how God puts us in situations that we may not understand, um, but it's always for our greater good. And so I tested that theory and I asked God, you know, I may not understand why I'm put in these situations that are hard, why people don't uh, want to hang out with me and, and why I don't have many friends, but, um, but I trust in you and, and I want to live with you um, and so I started instead of praying, please, Lord, take me away from, from school, like stop these kids from being mean to me. I started praying like, Lord, just give me the strength to get through this day and be with me. Uh, help me forgive the people who hurt me and, um, and help me live for you because, uh, because I trust in you and you're all I need. And so I changed when you change your whole point of view to that from, from being a victim to actually walking with God and realizing that actually you're fulfilling his plan for your life, then, then it changes your whole view on life and, uh, 
and that actually really helped me. Um, and very shortly, actually, um, people were asking me questions about why I'm so weird and why, why I go to church, but actually gave me opportunities to talk about God and, and share my faith. That's great. So, yeah. That's Thanks for that. Thank you for that. Where's our Indy? Bring it, throw our Indy to the microphone. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, hello. We've got to go quickly now, so I'm, I'm asking Indy this question. Indy, um, what's it like working as a family together? And, because God calls families, I mean, it's brilliant. It's good news, is that? And you're all other working for God. And, and how have you been able to help? in your mission over there in South Africa? <laughs> uh, Give me a little instance. <laughs> That's not the question you're supposed to ask, Indy. He prepared a different answer you. <laughs> Give me the answer that you prepared then. Uh, it's great being in tenure because I get to surf every day and see my friends. <laughs> uh, see my friends every day. But the thing is, a lot of people in South Africa, which are ten years old, don't have like a lot of money or or like place to stay in or yeah, kids. So my dad and CJ, he's the pastor of Wave Points. It's mm -hmm. the church we go to. They they are doing this. What is it called? Gardens. Gardens, gardens yeah. Uh, gardens, which we grow food for poor people, and we give them out to poor people. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you enjoy doing that and helping yeah. out, don't you? Yeah. yeah. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Thanks for that, uh, uh, Indy. AJ. Yes. <laughs> Tell me this then. When did faith come alive for you? Just well, I'm still kind of waiting on that to happen, to be honest. <laughs> no, but um, growing up in a family who, who's always been in ministry and we've attended church every single Sunday and it's been a big part of our life, I think that um, there hasn't really been a big moment or a big turning point for me because I've always believed in God and I always knew how much he loved me. Um, but going into quarantine and then being faced with um, not... Um, going to church on a regular basis and um, that normality, um, it definitely tested me um, because I had to go on my own personal journey with God and not simply be handed um, and just receiving everything on a weekly basis. So I think, yeah, definitely that time alone has changed the way um, in which I, I like uh, my whole life. Um, and then also my baptism two years ago was a big turning point because it was a public and also a, perf a personal um, affirmation and um, yeah, just to show the world how much I love Jesus and um, how much I want to pursue this life with him. So yeah, those two. You're a beautiful family, you really are. And, uh, and Reggie, there you are, mom. Hi, Hi good to see you all. Beautiful granddaughter. Uh, not granddaughter. <laughs> <Don't she? laughs> <Don't she? laughs> but, but you look very young. You look like a granddaughter. I, um, I wish. You've got a scripture for us this morning that means something very special to you, haven't you, Reggie? Yes, yes. So you want to say that with us? It's a scripture which actually has been given to me um, the first time I visited my granddad and the so Rich visited the granddad on his deathbed with me. It was the last thing he said to us both. This is why it's so special to me. So I really hope you get encouraged by this Wells Community Church. Um, because I also got reminded this time that he wrote, Paul wrote the scripture to, to the Romans in Romans 7 and 8 as he was in the prison cell. And right now you're still in very hard lockdown and it's been a terrible time for the world. It's been a very, very difficult time for you lovely people in England. Um, but the title of Romans 7, it says, released from the law and bound to Christ. And, you know, I got reminded that 
right now we have to obey the law it's really difficult sometimes if we break the law we get fined but if we keep focusing on jesus we know that we can be bound with him in christ and it says that when we serve in the way of the spirit and not in the old way and the written code that he will um um set us free and there's no condemnation mm. for those who are in christ jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set to be free from the law and sin of death. And so, um, so many people also suffer from mental health and it's been difficult for all of us to stay sane sometimes, but the mind, it says, is governed by the spirit who gives life and peace if the spirit of God lives in us and the spirit of God does live in us and we can... Um, rejoice in that fact and we have to remind ourselves that you know that um, yeah Christ intercedes on our behalf daily to the Father and so this has been a very very encouraging scripture for us that really no matter what what we're facing um, neither angels demons powers height or depths can separate separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this is my encouragement to you all this morning. Thank you and bless you all. And we're going to give you all a big wave because I know you've got to go off to stuff. So love you to bits, every one of you. You've done great. Thanks, guys. We're going to go to a breakout now for the children. And so... Um, Thank you, Jason, for that uh, great, great song. Thank you. And wasn't it great to see Richard and Reggie and family this morning? I love those guys so much, as I do all of, of all of Claude's family. They're just a, such an inspiration and been such an encouragement to, to us on our, on our journey. And anyway, so hey, good morning. It's good to see you. Can you hear me okay? Give us a wave if you can. Great. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you. And thank you, Sandra, too, for reading uh, one of my kind of all-time powerful scriptures that I, that I love. So this actually is the start of Jelly and I last week uh, at Elam Connect. And uh, we're feeling a bit emotional, to be honest with you. We, we some days, um, we sort of peaks and troughs. Some days we feel quite excited and some days we feel quite low and unconscious that occasionally uh, in this last week or two, I've been a bit grumpy. <laughs> so if I've, been a, if I've been a bit curt with you, then please, I apologize and bear with you. And I think it's because Tony, Tony used to say to me, Tony, you'll probably remember this, is Stephen, you can't pick up something new if your hands are already full with something else and letting go um, takes a real discipline. Um, but it's always the right thing to do um, because we need to pick up new things to press on in the next stage of our race. But um, it's an emotional time for us. And uh, thank you for all your love and support and prayers as we begin to, uh, as we begin to make our, our exit this week. So you'll understand that probably in our house, quite a lot of our conversation at the moment is a bit reflective. So um, uh, as we're anticipating new days, we think about some of the things that we've been through, particularly in this last 21 or so years with Connect. So you'll bear with me a little bit today, perhaps, I hope you will anyway. For, I'm going to reflect on a few things which I think might be helpful, also in terms of what it is that we want to talk about. Um, because we, we're talking about the, the Apostles' Creed and and... We're examining um, the statement today where we affirm our belief in the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of our body. And it's an important subject, although it's not altogether a straightforward subject to talk about, but I'm pleased I got the opportunity to share some thoughts on this today. When um, Jill and I were in our early days, around probably the time that we were just about to take on the leadership of the church, um, there was a Christian bookshop in St Cuthbert Street. We had an office opposite there. And we used to go over there regularly because we know the couple, we knew the couple that were running it. And uh, there was a painting on the wall, um, uh, a print on the wall, a limited print um, of, of a picture of a painting made inside um, the tomb where uh, Jesus' body lay. Um, but it's, of course, it's a picture of looking out. And it's an empty tomb and you see just in the distance out through the, the doorway where the stone has been rolled away, you see 
um, two shadowy figures, one of which I, I guess is, is Jesus and the other is probably uh, one of the women that he was talking to as he came out of the came out of the tomb. And this picture always drew my attention and it did Jill's too, because it just seems so, so kind of positive and encouraging with us in our, our faith journey. And we love that picture. We thought about buying it, but we didn't feel at the time we could justify the money. But the Christian bookshop owners sold the business to another, another person. And when they sold the business, um, they wrapped up this painting, which they saw us staring at every time we went into the shop and gave it to us. Um, and it stays in our house and I look at it every day because it reminds me um, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's such a powerful thing. When I spoke the last time um, on the subject of the Apostle, Apostles Creed, I left it with a bit of a cliffhanger, if you remember, because we were talking about um, uh, when we see that, that Christ uh, that we will die in exactly the same way as, as, as Christ died. Christ died. And we go into the ground, we're cremated or buried at sea or whatever happens to us. And we understand that when that happens, us for those who die in Christ, our spirit immediately goes to be with God. And scripture affirms that we may be absent from the body, but if we're absent from the body, then we will be present with Christ if we are in him. And believe and trust in him. Now the scriptures and indeed the physical evidence and the history and, and all the other things you read make it quite clear that Jesus actually died. Okay he was separated from God and he was buried in the tomb until his resurrection. But because of his resurrection of course the curtain between us and God is torn down so that we no longer have to face the fear of that eternal separation. You know that this basis so much of our faith. But this morning, let's think about what about our bodies. Now, is anyone interested in a new, in a new body? <laughs> I sometimes look in the mirror and think, yes, please. Um, and certainly if the diet or the nutrition and the exercise industries are any indication, um, then the answer is probably we all have desires for a new body. And some of us spend an awful lot of time working on our bodies. But then that's a good thing because we need to do our best to stay fit and well in the body that, of course, will eventually give up. And to be honest, I'm constantly in awe of people who have physical and health issues, yet they press on right up to the limit of their very physical limitation in order to do life on this earth as, as best they possibly can. It's a good thing that we should look after our bodies and we should encourage one another in doing this. And I know that when I could hardly walk uh, last autumn, it was the prayer and the encouragement of the people around me that made me press on and not give up. Although to be honest, at times it felt like it might be just easier to give up and fall into a wheeled vehicle. So if somebody's struggling with, I don't know, their, their fitness, their health, their weight or anxiety or depression, our position as, 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 as people, as Christians, as churches to do everything we can to encourage one another to look after our bodies and our minds and not to judge and, and do this as best we can because this is the picture of how uh, church and community should be. This is what we are called to be and we need to take part in looking after one another. I, I just feel so strongly about that because this pandemic among other things has taught us that, that it's in the front of our minds. We've witnessed the need to really help one another stay well and fight the physical attacks that we've been facing individually and, and as, as a country and as a community. So I want to say this morning that life is, life is a physical battle as well as a spiritual battle. And I say that because um, um, I want to question some odd ideas that I've heard over the years. Because the church is called into spiritual matters, um, it can be so easy to think about that our focus should primarily be there and that the physical matter, physical matters less, that the spiritual is in a sense, the priority. And I've heard some really strange teachings around that over the years, some quite recently, and I don't agree with those teachings. To me, they're a bit like the prosperity teaching. It, it it's, comes on an agenda that isn't really, I don't think entirely biblical, but that's my view, you may disagree with me. 
um, and I'm going to say it one more time before I retire, and you'll be so fed up of me saying this, is that I really dislike the so-called uh, secular and sacred divide. You know, Jesus is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. And so he's Lord of the physical and he's Lord of the unredeemed in creation. And so the physical matters to him and therefore it ought to matter to us. See, just to rely on the fact that God is going to make all things new can sometimes be used as an excuse for us for, for the way we might live our life on this earth. But it's good and important that we take care of one another, our body, mind, soul and spirit. And we need desperately to look after the things that help our life flourish on this planet. Um, we need to listen to people like David Attenborough, who I think is probably a modern day prophet, an elderly man with much wisdom and insight that we should listen to. So the physical is important. That's really my first point. Um, secondly, I want to think about, let's think about the soul and the spirit. Um, so what comes to your mind, what comes to my mind when we think about our soul? How does it relate to our body? Do we have a, a spirit that is in some way different from our soul? Is our body, soul and spirit just one inseparable unit? And what happens to all of these dimensions when we die? And then what happens at the resurrection? See, there's no suggestion, of course, that when, when our bodies die that we will walk out of the grave in three days like Jesus. These questions have been debated throughout history and, and it's partly because the Bible can sound like it's saying different things about the body, the soul, the spirit in different places. And partly because we're challenged um, by other thinking that influences us these days. Um, and today we've got the influence of the discoveries of neuroscience, which is wonderful because that's telling us more about the unseen and the unknown in us than we've ever known before. But even the neuroscientists um, yet really can't fully understand how all of this works and is connected together. It still remains a mystery for us. So what about our spiritual body? You see, I think it's too simplistic to say that Christianity is primarily a kind of go to heaven when you die faith, <laughs> because I think we understand that First and foremost, our faith in Jesus is a resurrection faith. It's a resurrection religion. We need to understand the resurrection. And to me, this is, in some sense, is the whole point of the Apostles' Creed, because what it does is to take a step by step through our, our belief and our thoughts in Jesus and God's plans. It leads us through. And as Mark, I think, said last week, as you come through the creed, it, it leads to a sort of crescendo in the last few seconds, sentences. And I, I love the way that Mark described that. It comes to a sort of crescendo. The cross of Jesus is crucial. But we see the resurrection of Jesus not only points to the atonement of our sins, making the forgiveness, the true forgiveness that Mark was talking about, making that possible. But it also points us to our ultimate future, our hope and our resurrection, as we've read by Sandra so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15. When Jesus came, it was to inaugurate, as we know, a new creation. The creation was and continues to groan under the weight of its present fragility. Some may say corruption. And basically, we as humankind are not doing a very good job of taking care of the physical world that God has placed us in. And so in some senses, we eagerly await for the kingdom of God to fully come. And so this is why the entire New Testament rings out with resurrection, encouraging all of us to live a resurrected life. But not just in anticipation of what's to come, but in the here and now. And so as we begin to see the world and people around us and the physical, as well as the spiritual, as we begin to see those things as God sees them, then it does affect how we live our lives and it does affect and influence what happens next. You see, I don't think God is content to give us some kind of, what's the word, ethereal heaven where we'll all live as a great gathered of disembodied souls. God originally made this creation, what's the word, very good. Genesis chapter one, he made creation very good. And he intends to make all things new. 
And of course, the central part of this new creation is the reunion of our souls with our new resurrected bodies. That's what Paul is writing about. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It's sown in a natural body and it's raised in a spiritual body. Wow, how powerful is that? So the Bible's very clear that we will receive a new body when Christ physically returns to his kingdom. And this will be reunited with our souls and our spirits, whether our existing body is still alive or whether we've been dead for a long time. God is giving Jesus and Jesus is giving God the kingdom of a new heaven and a new earth. And so we don't get this new body until that moment arrives. But we look forward to this in eager anticipation. What does it mean? So what does it mean in practice? Because it's quite hard to get your head around. But I think this, that God compares our old bodies. If you look at scripture, God compares our old bodies to a seed and our new body to the plant that grows out of that seed. Once again, it's the same, but it's different. There's both continuity and discontinuity between the seed and the plant. What comes from a wheat seed, uh, sorry, um, wheat comes from a wheat seed, of course, doesn't it? Well, what comes from a wheat seed? Wheat comes from a wheat seed. Corn comes from a corn seed. So our new body will come from a seed of our old body. So it'll be still you, it'll be still me, but we'll be different. Because just like the wheat seed, the plant is still wheat, but it's different from the seed. And so the Bible explains this to us. This is how it will be. Hard to understand, but I think probably these four things are important. The old body perishes, but the new one won't. Okay, this is how I read it. Secondly, that we'll ex we experience shame and embarrassment and all sorts of difficulties now, but we won't in our new body. Our old body is weak and weakens and we get tired. <laughs> Don't we just get tired? But the new one will be absent from those pains. And then I think fourthly, the old body is natural. The new one will be spiritual. But in a sense, this is where we can get confused because as I said earlier, some teach that the spiritual body is the opposite to the physical. And people think that when Paul is talking about the spiritual body, he's talking about a non-physical part. But that doesn't make sense because, as we've read, Paul says that it writes about a physical resurrection. He doesn't say the old body is physical and the new body is spiritual. He writes that the body is a natural body and the new body is a spiritual body. It is and it will be new in form and in both ways. That's how I see it. You may disagree with me, but I think it's a wonderful picture of hope for us. So what does it mean? Well, in short, all the things that we struggle with now in this life will be absent. Our new body will not be like that anymore. Uh, life in and with the Holy Spirit will take on a, uh, an even different reality and meaning for us. Because instead of resisting God's goodness and, and, and wanting to go against the flow, it will be very natural for us to constantly go with the flow of the Spirit. So it says in Romans 8, but if... Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So as we come to this last part of the creed, it's worth reading. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We'll come to that last bit next week, which perhaps is, is, is sort of timely for me in some ways. So that's a bit of an explanation on what I think um, when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, what we're actually saying. And I'd like us to think about that now. Well, Lord, I praise, we perhaps sing some more. And I might, if there's time, come back with a few practical thoughts in the second part that we plan for today. So we'll take a break for a second. Um, I want you just to 
do the second part of, of what we plan to say today um, by just telling um, a couple of stories, really. One of the things that great privileges you have when you're a leader of a church, um, and, and Jill and I have found this over the years, is that we there's so many powerful encounters with God that come through our engagement our engagement with, with, with the people around us. And for me, the thought of always trying to keep my mind and eyes fixed on Christ and understanding the resurrection of, of, of Christ and then understanding our own salvation and resurrection is so, is so important to keep us on track um, and in every way. And I want to just talk about very briefly, if I can, three people um, who have been who were so instrumental um, to us in this journey um, over the last few years. Um, there'd be lots of people that we want to thank and acknowledge. There'd be so many people um, that have been part of our ministry journey here at Connect. Um, and there'd be an opportunity perhaps next week or on, on another occasion to mention particular names. But I wanted to talk about three people today who are no longer with us. Um, because I think it's important to honour the impact that they had in our lives. And I hope that you'll bear with me while I just share that with you. Um, the first person I want to speak about is a lady called Betty Besley. Some of you will know her, uh, some of you won't know her at all. But she was a lady who was, I can use the term, completely bonkers for Jesus. And she, yet she was probably one of the most authentic evangelists that I've ever had the pleasure of encountering. She died at an elderly age and was part of our church for some years. She was an orphan um, and uh, she left the orphanage in the north and travelled to London at the age of 15. And she lived on the streets for a while. And she was picked up by a Christian family who took her in, um, took her off the streets because they were worried about her safety. Um, but these people were members of uh, the then emerging um, Elam Church. And they, they invited George Jeffries round to their house one day and she met George Jeffries, who was the founder of Elim. And the story goes that she came, came to faith, came to Christ, gave her life to the Lord. And it was a remarkable um, moment of resurrection in her life, a moment, wonderful moment of, of knowing that Jesus was the Lord. And she never, ever turned back. Um, she went on to get a job managing quite a big shop in Oxford Street, so she had quite a successful um, working career in London, but she then found her way to Somerset, and that's a long story, and I won't go into that, um, really, it's a big story, but there was a lot of sadness and difficulty in her personal life, to be honest with you, and she was very much on her own with no family, um, but she came to Wales, and she must have joined our church, and she loved our church, um, and uh, she would be regularly seen out on the streets of Wales, not regularly, every day, um, just um, popping little cards um, into people's shopping bags. She would go around the supermarket several times on the same day so that she could queue up uh, multiple times in order to drop little cards into people's shopping bags, which would tell them about faith. Uh, she had them printed in all sorts of different languages so that uh, the tourists in Wales had no escape from her grasp. She was the most amazing evangelist I've met. Um, the first time I really met her properly, though, was um, after the Alpha course in our church, when, as you heard me talk about the other week, uh, I came to faith during the Alpha course. And at the end of the course, course, I was invited to the church, and I was asked to stand up the front and talk about what had happened to me on the Alpha course, which I did, of course. And I remember on that day saying, well, thank you so much to the Elim Church in Wales for inviting me on this Alpha course. I now I'm going to do my very best to walk with and follow Jesus the rest of my life, but you'll forgive me if I don't join this church. You're nice people. Don't get me wrong. I was, I was so arrogant. You're nice people, but this isn't my kind of church. Well, after the meeting was over, Betty Besley came up to me and she said to me, I want to have a word with you. And I said, what's that? She said, I want you to reconsider your decision about not being a member of this church. And I said, well, why? She said, well, when you were made mayor of Wells, I was the mayor back in um, uh, 82, 83. When you're made mayor, there's a ceremony at which people are invited. And Betty Besley, somehow or another, had come to that ceremony. She went to everything, of course. Um, 
And she said to me that she didn't know me, but on the day that I was made mayor, she looked at Jill and I and our two sons, our family, and said, I'm going to pray for these people. Um, and she said, I, I, she said, I can tell you this. I pray, I've prayed for you and your wife pretty well every day since then. And so she said, I think that, that that's something to do with the fact that God has heard that prayer and you're now both moving on as all moving on as a family in faith. So she said, please don't leave this church. And, and I didn't, of course, and didn't expect. I mean, you know the rest of the story from then on. But we journeyed with Betty in our life uh, at Elam. And in those early days, really got to love her. And she got to really love us. And um, she, to Jill, was probably her, probably the daughter that she never really had. Although, ironically, she never called um, Jill her daughter. She always called Jill her mum. Uh, she said, Jill, you're my mother. And Jill said, well, don't be silly. I can't be your mother. You're old enough almost to be my grandmother. And she said, no, you're my spiritual mother. And I want to call you the mother that I didn't know. So they had this wonderful relationship. Um, Betty got cancer. And it was pretty serious. Um, and I remember on the day that the um, doctors said to her, that your cancer is serious and it's inoperable and it's really nothing we can do. She took that news with such grace. I mean, I just couldn't believe how she took that news. And she's, there's a long silence when the, the doctor finished talking and she said to the doctor, are you okay? And the doctor said, sorry, what do you mean? She said, are you okay? And the doctor said, well, I, yeah, I think so. And she said, because I'm really worried about you. You know, you, you look so tired and you look so worried. And, and he said, well, you worried about me? I'm worried about you. Oh, my boy, don't worry about me, she said. I'm absolutely fine. I'm going to be with the Lord. Um, you know, don't look at my body as it is now. Look at it, me, me as I will be uh, in due course. So, no, let's not waste time talking about me. I want to pray for you. So she got all the staff together and prayed for them. This was Betty. But after that, she said to Jill, one thing I'd like to ask of you is that if at all possible, could you be with me when I meet with the Lord? Because I'd love you to be there when I meet Jesus for the first time. And I can't explain uh, in the time I've got available to you now, uh, to me now, how the kind of miracle worked out. But anyway, the result was that Jill was with Betty on the day that she died. It was extraordinary, really. And uh, she was able to sing and read psalms to her and pray with her. And she was there at that wonderful moment when Betty passed from this life to the next. And, and for us, it was, it, was, it was sad, but it was a remarkable explanation of a life that had been led well and, 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 and was so faithfully focused upon the Lord. It was a remarkable, wonderful moment and, uh, and, 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 and sustained and strengthened our faith for the journey that we we're on. Just going to talk about there's several people I'd want to talk about, but I'm conscious of time, so I'm just going to talk about one more person who will be known to many of you today, who also um, had um, a tremendous impact in my life and our life, and that's Alison Hereford. You know Alison, she came from London, um, having relocated uh, to Wells. Um, her sister had died um, and it was very difficult for her. Um, it, her. The death of her sister, quite understandably, had deeply impacted her life and threw her off of kilter really. And she came to Wales and started a new life and, and got a good job here. Um, and she um, joined our church and started to come along and to kind of meet with us all and fellowship with us all. And those of you that We'll know Alison, we'll know that she was a very bright, um, lovely, gentle person who was kind of private, but at the same time, very generous and loving. And we fell in love with her, you know, and we all had a wonderful relationship with her. And Jill and I particularly uh, were drawn to her. Um, she was such a lovely, wonderful person. And the reason I'm telling you the story of Alison, because she... Mark arranged some trips to Israel, as you probably know, and, and Alison came with us on one of those trips. And she asked us if we would baptise her. Initially, her thought was that she'd like to be baptised in the River Jordan, but Mark said, no, let's not do that. The River Jordan is not always the cleanest river. 
let's baptize you in the Sea of Galilee. I'll remember that night or that evening as if it was yesterday. We all assembled on the beach. Late afternoon, the sun was beginning to drop. It was warm and the sea was beautiful and fresh. And I went in the water with Mark and with Alison and we baptized her. Um, and to see the transformation that occurred to her as she came up out of that water was just remarkable. But what happened next? Like nobody could prepare me for what happened next because we then came out of the water and we walked up on the beach. Um, and Alison shared her story. And honestly, I feel like I cried there just talking about it. It was probably the one of the most remarkable testimonies that I'd heard of God's love and grace. And it spoke so powerfully to us about the resurrection and the power of the cross and the life that's ahead of us. It was incredible. And when she'd finished her story, there was a pause. And completely out of nowhere, this wind came across the sea. You could see the waves being disturbed and it hit us. And we stood in this breeze for what was about three or four minutes and then it stopped. And I remember turning to her and saying, I think the Holy Spirit is upon you and in you and with you. It was such a powerful moment. Well, of course, sadly, like Betty, I'm afraid that Alison later on um, developed cancer and became very unwell. She had a couple of years of, of considerable difficulty, really. But throughout all of that, she remained completely fixed and focused upon her faith and the trust that she'd got in Jesus. And she was in a hospice and they were trying some new treatment and um, she had um, was worried about her mother who was finding it all very difficult. Her mother was elderly and living in London and her nieces um, were, were, were super, but she asked me if I would be her sort of main point of contact. Jill and I would be like her guardians through this health period, which we of course agreed. It's a great privilege when you're as, as a leader, when as a church leader, pastor, when you have the opportunity to, to support somebody at their end of life. Uh, and so as a result of that, the doctor rang me one day to say that I've got some, some, some quite bad news for Alison and I wonder if you would come down and be with her when I talk to her. So I went down to the hospice and, and Alison and I and the doctor met and uh, the, the doctor um, gave, gave his news, which was that the new treatment that they tried was not working and it wouldn't work and that actually in terms of time uh, on this earth it was quite limited so we talked and and we prayed and the doctor left and you know Alison looked at me straight in the eye and she said to me I'm worried about you Stephen and I said why are you what are you worried about she said you look tired and I said well it's been a busy few days she said you're not worried about me are you <laughs> And I said, well, of course I am. Of course I'm worried about you. And she said, oh, my dear Stephen, please don't worry about me. I know where I'm going. And we prayed together. And within a couple of days uh, of that, well, perhaps a week or so after that, she had passed. Um, and I'm sharing these stories this morning because I think it's important for us to understand the power of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even in our most difficult and hard circumstances, he never leaves us or forsakes us. And to be with someone when they pass from this earth to the next is such a privilege, which for me over this journey has, as, as a leader here in Connect has been has sustained us. There are other stories I'd like to tell, but time is running on. So I'm gonna end there with a prayer. <clears throat>